0: I looked over and the piano's rocking. I'm like, man, she's killing it today. Wow, thank you, Elena. What a great job. Uh, It's such a joy and honor to be here this morning uh, on this Sunday of November. Now, I know tomorrow is the official day uh, that in America we recognize our veterans. Uh, Just a quick historical fact, because I'm afraid that If you ask young people what their favorite subject is, it's never history. But those who do not learn from it are doomed to repeat it. Uh, We know from history that Veterans Day is always held on November the 11th. Not only on November the 11th, the 11th day of the 11th month, but is recognized literally at the 11th hour. Of the 11th day of the 11th month of the year because it marked the end of hostilities in one of the bloodiest battle or wars that America ever fought and that was in the war to end all wars, World War One. Uh, as Armistice Day would come, the Treaty of Versailles and all of that would take place. Little did we know, uh, little did they know, uh, that A a buck private in the German army uh, under uh, the leadership of the Bismarck and many others would hold such deep resentment that he would wage war across the globe uh, some uh, less than 30 years later in World War II. And through World War II and through the Korean conflict and through Vietnam War, through uh, places like Panama and Grenada and Mogadishu, and places like Jalalabad and Fallujah, Americans have fought and waged a battle for freedom. Not an imperialistic, I don't care what any news show says, uh, we have not reached out to build an empire, but to set people free from the bondage of tyrants Uh, and the absolute despotism of evil across the globe. Today I want to recognize our veterans. If you served in any branch of the military, uh, today, and we'll start, and we want them all to stand at one time, so just hold until I'm done, but today is also uh, the birthday of the Marine Corps, 244 years. Uh, old. I told Romy this morning, I said, you look great for 244. (laughs) Uh, Ronald, you looked all right for it. Uh, But we want to recognize those who are Marines. And it has been said that there's only one ex-Marine. Everyone else is always a Marine. The ex-Marine was Lee Harvey Oswald uh, because he shot the president. But they have no doubt there was not a second shooter because the Marines trained him. He knew how to shoot. Uh, Our Army, people who have served in the Army, Navy, for some served in Army and Navy, uh, Air Force, Coast Guard, if you've served in any branch of the U.S. military, will you please stand today and be recognized? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank all of you for what you've done. We take for granted young people. You went to Sunday school this morning if, if you did what was right. And if you went, you had cookies and cinnamon rolls and uh, some classes serve healthy stuff. Um, I'd just switch classes if I was you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but you were able to do that because of those men and women that just stood up. You'll go to a public school tomorrow or you'll go to a private school or you'll be homeschooled based on your parents' choice because of the men and women who just stood up. You'll go on vacation. You'll celebrate Thanksgiving. You will celebrate Christmas because of the men and women who st- stood up and those who went before. Now, Memorial Day is a total different day. Today we recognize all that served And it is such an honor. I've been waiting for I don't know how long. I know over a year uh, for this day. I knew when uh, he told me, and I was one of the first to know. He said, you can't tell anybody, but we're fixing to be deployed. They've activated us. They've not given us clear orders. And they keep them in the dark. I don't know how they do it. But then all of a sudden, he was here, and then he wasn't. And uh, then I received a message from him. Uh, and he was in Jalalabad, Afghanistan. Uh, if you don't know where that's at, it's real hard to get there from here. It's nine and a half hours difference, I do know that. Because we had about a three hour window we could talk each day where we were both awake at the same time. And one of the coolest things that I've ever received is he sent me a picture where he was in the chapel, Fenty Chapel, their own base, where he was the, the ch- lead chaplain, and they were watching our worship service in Jalalabad, Afghanistan. He said, Hey, you're, you're worldwide. I said, I've been telling everybody that for years. Uh, but I thank God for Captain Brian Mize, he has been a blessing to our church. Uh, he and Rebecca and Noah and Matthew, uh, as they reside up in the uh, Pauling Polk uh, area, they have actually are moving uh, not far from there uh, to a little, little spot that we would really, all of us would fit in, called Taylorsville, Georgia. It's a beautiful, beautiful place out of Aragon, Georgia, uh, not far from Van Wert, and just south of Coosa and Cave Springs is a gorgeous place. Uh, Brian is still serving. Uh, he's fixing to be moving in some things. I won't go into detail, but we love him at Eastside. I'm thankful for him. Uh, he is Captain Brian Myers, but to me, he's just my brother in Christ. Uh, he's so much more to so many people, uh, but without further ado, I introduce to many of you that's not hurting, uh, Captain Brian
1: Mize. Can y'all hear me okay? All right, so, uh, wow, I can hear me too. So before I, when I walked in this morning, one of the first things that uh, was asked of me, uh, a young man up there came and asked if it was okay for y'all to live stream me as the service went on. I've always wanted to do this, so in my best Billy Graham voice, let me say, good morning, and to the millions watching at home. (laughs) So, I'm gonna give you a little bit of an intro in just a minute, but let me tell you, um, some things that I would like to talk with you about this morning, some of it is a little bit of testimony from while I was in Afghanistan. I hope y'all are okay with that. I know there are children in here. I'm gonna try and leave some of the details out Uh, but do understand it was a war zone. World War I was not the war to end all wars. I can absolutely attest to that. Um, But I do want to talk through a little bit of the the things that happened while I was over there, some of the things that uh, the soldiers saw. But I want to start out by telling you something that I had no intention of telling you until watching the baptism this morning. What a beautiful thing that was that a young eight-year-old girl was able to come to Christ. And she was able to do so without worrying that a group of people were going to blow up her house because of it. The people who stood up a moment ago, excluding myself, the people who stood up a moment ago, I am firmly convinced that God has blessed this nation with men and women who gladly pick up a rifle, a pistol, uh, a mortar, whatever it is, and they stand on the front line so the little girls and little boys can get in a baptism pool and say, I believe in Jesus with my whole heart, and I will take that to my grave. We are a blessed nation because of that. I watched a man, I've talked, Brother Matt and I talked last night about this. I'm not going to go into tons of detail, but I will tell you I stood next about three weeks after I got into Afghanistan. I stood next to a man of about 30 years old, and I, I stood next to him as the blood dripped out of his head as he died. And because he had not had a foundation or a history of Christ, of people that could share Christ with him, a freedom where he could come to Christ... He died and went straight to hell, and there was nothing that I could do about it. But watching that be able to happen here, it gives us a joy. Now, I want to tell you about three things that I learned while I was gone. I had an opportunity, as Matt said, to preach every single Sunday, which means that about 80 or 90 people who would show up in the chapel every Sunday had to listen to me preach every single Sunday. We walked through, kind of like y'all, we were walking through the book of Mark. In uh, six and a half, seven months, we made it through chapter three. Uh, but we had a great time and we dove down into it and sometimes we would take one verse and that would be our service And I learned three very important things while I was there The first thing that I learned when you are going to stand up in front of people and speak use the restroom right before <laughs> Really important. I have taken that I will, I will go with me everywhere. I go the second thing And I do want you to hear this the second thing is the people that you admire and think they have it all together They don't and you don't know that until you get into close proximity. I told Becky that I was going to mention her this morning. If you aren't aware, uh, I went to middle school and high school with her. She was much older than me, but I still had the opportunity to go to school with her. And I, I don't think I've ever told she or Matt this. I remember her from middle school. And, I, and I'm not being, putting myself down when I say, I doubt she remembers me, but I remember her. And what I remember was the smile. Every time I saw her, we we had P.E. together. She probably doesn't know that. But every time I saw her, she was smiling. And I always thought she had everything together, that her life was perfect, that everything was going good in Becky Malone land. And as I get to know Matt and Becky more, everything wasn't good in Becky Malone land. And it's not in everybody's life. We live in a world where people hurt, where people die, and where bad things happen. People, we just don't have it all together. But we have a God that does. And on that, we can rely. And the third thing that I learned while I was in Afghanistan is that it is time absolutely 100% without equivocation, it is time for us to go all in for Jesus, for us to stop Playing like Jesus is something that we talk about on Sunday morning, but we must go all in with everything we have because he went all in for us. And when we wait a day, we lose an eternity, potentially, when we don't do that. Now, as Matt said, last December, I had the wonderful occasion, an all-expenses-government-paid trip to a place called Jalalabad. Didn't know really where I was going necessarily. I knew that we were going to Afghanistan. Uh, uh, We learned that, I don't know, sometime early last year. But the orders kept changing. They don't tell you where you're going to go, and I think it's just so that they can have a little bit of fun with you. But they don't tell you where you're going to go until you get there in many cases. And then your orders change when you get there, and you don't know what you're going to do until you show up on the scene. We had people, uh, if you are, has anybody in here ever been to Afghanistan? Anybody at all? Just kidding. Um, So we were in the eastern part of Afghanistan. The city of Jalalabad is where 9-11 was planned. Right after 9-11, Osama bin Laden in that area, they came out, they did 9-11, the attack there, and then we went, the United States went to Jalalabad, and we said, that's a really nice airport you have. It belongs to us now, and we run our operations out of there. Over the years... Dozens and dozens and dozens of Americans have given their lives right there in Jalalabad. When I received the order, I have to say that my family and I struggled a lot more than I would have thought that we would. I'm the chaplain. I'm supposed to have it all together. And people look at me and say, he's the guy that that has everything figured out. He's the guy that we can always trust to be in a good mood, to be smiling. In fact, there's a general that says, if the chaplain is not smiling, then you need to wonder what's wrong. But here's the truth, y'all. I did not have it all together. It began with the initial training last October. We came down here to Fort Stewart. I left my my wife and my family at home and we were down here. We'd be down here for a week, two weeks, three weeks at a time and then I would get to go home. And that means that every two or three weeks I was saying goodbye to my wife and my children. And during that time my wife and I began to have a lot of struggles. We began to have a lot of conflict which means that she would tell me what to do and I would say okay. But the conflict was, as we got closer and closer and closer to our date to leave, to go to Afghanistan, I would get more and more and more distant from my wife and from my kids. And that was consistent across the board. All of the soldiers did it. All of their families did it. It was a coping mechanism so that when the day came, everybody could say goodbye and we could give the smile for the news media that happened to be there and we could say, rah, rah, go America. There goes my soldier and he may never come home. Finally, I left for good right after Christmas, and we found a routine for our family. As I said, I flew over to Jalalabad. Actually, we went from here to Germany to um, Kuwait. Kuwait, if you've never been there, is hot. If you take a whole bunch of hair dryers and set them up on a big wall and turn them on high and stand in front of them, you have been to Kuwait. Kuwait. From Kuwait, we went to uh, a lovely place called Bagram, and then from Bagram to Fenty. At Fenty, I was chaplain for roughly about 2,000 uh, U.S. citizens. Some of them were uh, soldiers. We had about six or 700 soldiers on the base, on the FOP, uh, and the rest were civilian contractors. So I had the opportunity to serve as chaplain for about 2,000 people. There was another uh, chaplain on the FOB. He was the aviation chaplain because we had Blackhawks and um, Apaches and other helicopter assets there. He served those, uh, the aviation assets, I served the rest of the base. Uh, I was in charge of Fenty Chapel. All of that ran through me. Also what ran through me was something that the Army likes to call a roll to clinic, which sounds really innocuous. But in the Army, you have different levels of hospitals. A roll one clinic is like the urgent care that you go down the street, everybody gets a little cold, you get some sniffles, you go down the street, they give you some medicine, they rub your arm, whatever it is they do, and then they send you home. That's a roll one clinic. It's a long stretch to get from a Roll 1 to a Roll 2 clinic. A Roll 2 clinic, they can give you the medicine, they can stop your nose from, uh, from dripping, they can do all of that as well. So they have all the capabilities of a Roll 1 clinic, but a Roll 2 clinic exists solely to stop you from bleeding to death so that they can get you to a Roll 3 clinic. That's a big stretch, wouldn't you agree? To go from, I got a cold, to I'm bleeding to death. The Roll 2 facility that I was at uh, while we were there was the busiest roll to facility in afghanistan we serviced ana soldiers we serviced every nationality we would uh, if occasion came we would also take care of taliban and isis as they were hurt injured killed whatever however you want to think of that I came home in July and I went back to my family in August and, and I have to tell you the adjustment for me has been a lot harder than I would have thought. The adjustment of coming back home, of being with my family, of being with, uh, with my wife, or with my children, being with my job, it's a lot harder than I would have anticipated. In fact, my wife made the statement, they told me that it would be hard when you came home but this is ridiculous, you need to figure something out. So today, I'm standing here before you, and I have a deeper understanding. I'm going to keep stepping on this spot so that it squeaks. <laughs> I have a deeper understanding than I've ever had, even through my Navy deployments where nobody was shooting at us, thank goodness, even though I had dreams that somebody would attack the carrier, and with a, uh, a little flare gun, I would fend everybody off like Steven Seagal. It never happened. So I, I, today, I have a deeper understanding of what it means to sacrifice, to serve, to go somewhere, to give up of yourself, the sacrifices that our families make, that our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, and coasties that they make. And here's the big truth of all of it. Here's the big truth that I want you to hear today. Service, when we choose to serve, we make a choice to serve, and it demands something out of us. We cannot serve and have it not impact us in some way. You all had the the Shine Night here last February. Those who served at Shine Night were impacted in some way because you are pouring something out of yourself, and when you do that, something must pour back into you. I chose in 1986, that was a long time ago for those of you that are younger, I chose to serve in the United States Navy, and then about uh, nine and a half years ago, ten years ago, I chose to serve in the Georgia Army National Guard. Whether you are serving as a military member, a family, a first responder that you had last week, whether you're serving as a nurse, a school teacher, whatever it is, when you are serving, when you are serving here even at the baptistry, as Michael was earlier, you are pouring something out of yourself. Service, actually the uh, interesting, the Hebrew word for service is, y'all ready for this, you might want to write it down. The Hebrew word for service is abad, A-B-A-D. As in, Jalal, Abad. Now the Arabic word Abad literally means to cultivate or something that has been cultivated or built up. There's a little bit of similarity between that. The first part of Jalal, if you're curious, there was a guy named Jalal a long time ago and they named the city after him. There was a cultivated area named Jalal. That's how Jalal Abad came to be named. So this morning, those of you that have served, thank you. To your families, thank you. To your employers, thank you. Thank you to your church and your pastor who served as my chaplain while I was gone. Thank you. Now, what I want to talk about a little bit this morning is the idea of deep service. We're going to be reading out of Joshua. uh, We're going to read two verses from Joshua chapter 24. We're going to be reading verses 14 and 15 in a moment. If you have your Bibles, if you would go ahead and, and begin turning over there. And as you're turning there, let me give you some background on where we are. Everybody knows the story of Moses. They know the story of the Exodus. They know that the children of Israel went into Egypt where they lived for 400 years. Many of that, they were living there as slaves. And then Moses rose, or or God rose Moses up, and Moses went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. We all know that. We've seen the movies. Moses would eventually, at God's leading, he would bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, and they would come out with more money than they've ever had, everything that they've ever wanted, and God would go before them in a cloud during the day. And again, if you're walking through the desert and you have a cloud over you, it's a good day. At night, they would walk through the desert and there would be a ball of light above them. God was going with them. Everywhere they went. But then they came upon the Red Sea. They couldn't go anywhere else. So what did God do as Pharaoh's army was bearing down? He opened the Red Sea so that the children of Israel could walk across on dry land. And then the children of Israel, as they made it to the other side, they turned around and they looked, and here comes Pharaoh's army riding in. And then the waters came back together, and Pharaoh's army was no more. And then the people began to say, we're hungry. We're thirsty. Why didn't you just leave us back in Egypt? Why didn't you just do this? At least there we had, we had food. Now, they had seen God work the ten plagues, which were pretty amazing. Would you agree? The locusts that come up and frogs that come up and, and hail and boils and, and the death of every firstborn child in every Egyptian household. They had seen all of this. And yet, they're you know, walking behind Moses saying, Oh, Moses, why did you do this? Then they got to a point where they sent spies. Actually, you know what they even got before that? They had manna. Y'all, they got up in the morning. They were such good hunters. They walked outside and there's bread on the ground. And in the afternoon, they would have meat on the ground. All they had to do was go pick it up but they had to do it at God's leading. In a particular way, you can only pick up enough for one day, except on the day before the Sabbath, and you pick up enough for two days. So they had specific instructions, and God is leading them in this. They they were at Mount Sinai, and they saw the Ten Commandments come down. They could hear God on the mountain, and yet they struggled with whether or not to give themselves completely to God. Picking up in verse, I'm going to be reading out of the New King James. Picking up Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Almighty God, I pray. Lord, as we walk through your scripture this morning, as we listen to the words of Joshua, and Lord, as we listen to your Holy Spirit speaking to us, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be pierced with the desire to go all in for Jesus and to not wait another day. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us here in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, on the topic of service, Joshua is making a clear point at this point that it's time to stop playing. Service literally means the action of helping or doing work for someone. When you join the military, those of you that have joined, when I joined, they didn't ask me if I wanted to do, you know, do you just kind of want to do it? Do you just want to wear maybe a hat? Do you want to do a little bit? No, they sent me to basic training, and I got off of a bus at Great Lakes, Illinois, and before I could hit the ground, there was a dude in my face yelling, and I realized I was all in. I didn't know what I was all in, but I knew I was all in. When you join, when you agree to serve, whether you are serving as a policeman, a fireman, a military member, you go all in. You give yourself over entirely in many respects to that thing that you are serving. And that is what Joshua is telling the children of Israel here. Give yourself entirely to God. Commit your life entirely to being obedient and to following what and where God leads Now, when I was here last year, I think I may have told you I learned a Bible verse about 18 months ago that says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. Doesn't that sound great? So I did. God, don't send me to Afghanistan. Please don't send me to Afghanistan. I'm not anxious about it, God, but please don't send me to Afghanistan. I didn't want to leave my family. I didn't want to leave my children. I didn't want to leave my job. And y'all, if you're not aware, there are people over there trying to kill people. I didn't want to go there. But the order came down. And when it showed up, because I was anxious for nothing, because I had been praying, I had absolute peace about where God was sending me. And I had absolute peace about whether or not I would come back home. It was okay. My family had peace about it. And we agreed that even if they showed up and said, you know what, chaplain, you don't have to go if you don't want to, that we would still go because it is where God was leading and we were going to follow him regardless of what happened. So I took comfort in knowing that Jesus, in a similar way, when he was in the garden, prayed to God the Father, Lord, if you would be willing, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus was absolutely all in when it came to serving God the Father, and we must be all in when it comes to serving Jesus Christ. There is no halfway. I need bifocals. So here's the deal. When we serve something, then we become known for something. I had a great example of I was going to use, I have it written here in my notes, and I can't use it now. My example was going to be, the University of Alabama is known as a winner because they have a process and they win. That didn't work out last night. By the way, let me tell you, this is an aside, it's not in my notes, this is free. I have this thing where I emulate preachers and pastors that I really greatly respect. I have uh, a preacher who likes to draw out his S's, I think I may have told you before, where he will say, come to Jesus. I have a preacher who will, uh, he will, he will stand right at the edge and he will talk and he will say, won't you pray even now? And he will rock back and forth on his toes have a preacher who will talk about God, and when he's through talking about God, he will say something like, And Jesus came and died for you. Wow. And then I found myself doing this in Afghanistan. I have Matt Brady, and I have pictures where I was standing in Afghanistan right here next to the pulpit, my hand on it, talking to the the body there, just like Matt Brady. Probably not as intelligently as Matt today. That's all right. So here's the thing. Where you're serving, where you are freely giving of yourself, you are going to be known for that. Where are you spending your action? Where are you serving today? Who are you serving today? Joshua was talking to a people who had wandered for 40 years. They knew what the presence of God was. They had eaten manna. They had their moms and their dads who had told them about the 10 plagues in Egypt. They had more intimate knowledge of what God can do than any of us in this room because they or their moms or dads had seen it. And yet, here's Joshua saying choose who you are going to serve. If you want to serve the other gods, then go do it, but choose who you will serve. Go all in. Joshua had to remind them, and this morning, I am here to remind y'all that God is still God and to ask you who you are serving. To what are you all in? Joshua's point was you can't go part way in serving God. Our God deserves better. Our God demands better. He gave all of himself for us. He demands all of us in return. Where are you serving and what are you giving your life to? Stop playing with Jesus. Stop pretending that he's got and stop showing up on Sunday morning like you've got it all together when the rest of the week you're struggling y'all we have to be real with one another in this room as the body as brothers and sisters in Christ we have to be able to be real so that we can go all in and serving Christ with everything of who we are and not hiding something away because we don't want people to know that we hurt even if others make fun of you or if people tell you to tone down. Go all in for Jesus. One of the instances that I called Matt about while we were in Afghanistan, this was in April, where I told you how many chaplains were there? See if you're paying attention. Two. See if y'all can count. There's two. Back home I would do this. There were two chaplains. There were two of us there. We had a different view many times of what ministry is, of what it means to serve God. And there were other people there as well, other well-meaning believers who had different ideas of what it was or what it is to serve God, to go all in. Who you should talk to and who you shouldn't talk to. Because if you talk to those people, and y'all, we have the same thing here in Claxton and everywhere else. If you talk to those people, then you're going wrong and God doesn't want you over there. He wants you focused over here. In April, we had an incident. I called mad about it either that day or the next day. I don't recall. Where ISIS... Contrary to what the media portrays, ISIS isn't beat. They're not gone. They're still very much active, and they're still very much shooting. I have been on a base where ISIS was shooting at the base. They are there. In this case, ISIS had attacked a family. And by family, I mean the, the, the dwellings in Afghanistan, the way they work, they're not houses like we have. They have uh, walled compounds. And inside of that compound might be two or three or four different families that live together as one broader family or one greater family unit. But there's a mom and a dad and children for two or three different families, usually brothers and sisters, and then they'll come together. Y'all, y'all getting what I'm saying? So in this compound, there was a dad, The dad's brother was not there. He was out doing something. The dad's wife was not there. She was, uh, I think she she, she was not alive anymore. But it was the dad and his seven-year-old girl. Also in the compound was a mom, her 12-year-old girl, her seven-year-old girl, and her three-year-old boy. They, the, the children were cousins. Y'all following me so far? The children were cousins. The dad and the mom were in-laws. So everybody should be on pretty good page, right? ISIS, because these people hadn't gone all in for ISIS, they decided to have fun, and they launched RPG rockets into this compound. The mother was... No more. We'll say it that way. She was simply no more. The dad was not injured. His seven-year-old daughter was injured. And then the other seven-year-old daughter and the three-year-old boy, they were injured as well. And the 12-year-old girl, the other one, she was not injured too. So in at our Roll 2, you remember what I told you our Roll 2 facility was for? When would you come to a Roll 2 facility? Stop bleeding, Stop bleeding to death. So we received a three-year-old boy, two seven-year-old girls. With them came a dad and a 12-year-old girl that were not injured. The four-year-old or the three-year-old boy that night at our Roll 2 facility he lost his right leg. We at our facility we had to take his right leg off. I gave him my son, y'all, many of y'all have met Noah. Noah had sent me a little doll of Yoda. It's like this tall, had a really kind of a cartoony face. But that was his daddy, while you're in Afghanistan, I want you to have this doll to think of me. So I had this doll, and as this little three-year-old boy is laying there with his leg demolished, I went to my room, which was maybe from here to the back of the church away from my roll too, and I brought him that little Yoda doll, and he clung, clung to Yoda. I don't have any idea if he knew who Yoda was, but it was a little cartoon figure, and it was something to take his mind off of what was going on right there. Now, we would line up our patients. We would start from here, and we could put three patients in a room. So this would be the worst patient, patient number two, second most injured, And then patient number three would be the third most injured. The little boy was up here. We'll call this bed alpha because that's what they call it. Bed alpha. He was right here. The operating room was here. So they were about to take him into the operating room. I was standing here with girl number two. She was the cousin to the other two I told you all about. As I talked to this little girl, we had an interpreter at the end of the bed. The interpreter's family had been killed in a roadside bomb just a few years earlier, and this was the first time he had been in a hospital since he had been there to watch his mother and his sister die. He stood there in that room talking to me, a Christian chaplain, about how much it hurts when somebody dies and he doesn't know what to do with it. So standing there next to that little girl's head, I'm listening to this interpreter talk to me, and I've got the little girl laying here, and she says to the interpreter, I'm hot. We had raised the temperature in that room. It was probably 110 degrees in that room. They do that because the patients go into shock, so they want the temperature to be very high so they can take care of the patients. It was hot. So when the little girl says she's hot, the only thing I could think of, and y'all know the passage, when Jesus said, whoever gives a cup of water in my name shall not lose his reward. Y'all familiar with the passage, right? So that's all I could think of. So I took a little cup put some water in it with some gauze pads, and I rubbed the water on the little girl's, little girl's forehead, and I began to sing to her. I don't know what I was singing, and she certainly has no idea what I was singing. But as I was doing this, as I was rubbing water on her forehead, and as I was talking to her, I can't remember her name, but I'm, I'm rubbing water on her forehead and just letting it drip there, she had a hole through the side of her face here, um, and I was washing the blood away as it would drip out, As I'm taking care of this little girl, she's staring right here at my uniform the entire time. And y'all know right here on my uniform is a big cross. This little girl may never have an opportunity to get into a baptism pool. Because there are not people there who will defend her right to come to Jesus. But one day she may look back and she may say, you know what? I don't know what that guy was wearing on his uniform, but he put water on my head when it was hot. He sang to me when other people were all about me working. He held my hand when things were not going well. She may one day come to Christ. Because in that moment, I made a decision, and I, this isn't about me, but I need you to understand what going all in can do. I made a decision in that moment to go all in and stand next to the head of a little seven-year-old girl who was crying and screaming, and her, her family had just been killed, and I put water on her head, and she stared at a cross. Going all in means you give of yourself everything you have to do, even though other people in the room said to me, she is Afghan. Stay away from her. She's not worth it. Give everything you have to the king who has given everything for you. Circumstances shouldn't matter when we go all in for Jesus. Whether we Do well or whether we do poor shouldn't matter when we go all in for Jesus. All that should matter is who we are serving. So I ask you the question again, who are you serving? Choose today who you will serve. Joshua exhorts the children of Israel not just to choose who you're going to serve, but to choose this day. Choose today who you will serve. I've heard it all while I was gone. Things like, chaplain, I, I can't serve God. I've done too many bad things. Chaplain, you don't know what i am done. Chaplain, I'm on my fifth marriage. I can't come to Christ. He won't have anything to do with me. Chaplain, I grew up in the church, and the church did some really mean things to my family. I can't give myself to Jesus. I can't serve him completely because I have too much anger towards him. Chaplain, I can't. Or, just as frequently, Chaplain, I must clean myself up first before I can go to Jesus. Chaplain, I have to stop drinking. Chaplain, I have to stop having an affair. Chaplain, I have to stop doing these things before I can come to Jesus. i got to clean myself up so that I can go all in for Jesus. Y'all know when I joined the military, they not one time asked me if I could go buy a uniform and get everything in order so that I could show up to boot camp so they could yell at me. They never asked me to do anything. They just said, you made a choice today to serve the United States Navy. Guess what? You are serving the United States Navy. I was all in. And they cleaned me up. Man, I think they did a good job, but i kind of partial to it. I want you to hear this. When you say, I can't serve God because I've done this or I've done that, understand this. It isn't about you. Amen. <laughs> Scripture tells us that God did these things, that Jesus died to the glory of God. We give ourselves to him to glorify God. It's not about us. We can't serve God, but you know what Jesus can. Scripture says, "For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not that for God so loved the world that Brian decided to do something good. For God so loved Matt that Matt decided he was going to clean everything up and become a preacher. Scripture never says anything about that. It is all about what Jesus has done and how much Jesus has given for you. And not at all about what you give to him except your life. Choose this day who you will serve. Y'all okay for one more rough story? Let me tell you one thing really quick. The little girl with the with the with uh, the the galls on her foreheads. The next day, I had an opportunity to stand in front of all of those medical people, to stand in front of everybody that had been working with those children that day. I had an opportunity because I stood next to that little girl's bed. Had an opportunity to share the gospel. With United States military service members, they invited me to do that because I had stood there with them and poured myself out while they were doing the same thing. I had an opportunity to say, Jesus Christ has given himself for you in a far more profound way than you have given yourself to treating these patients. Jesus Christ can heal you of these hurts and these pains. Give yourself to him. Choose him. And it was only because at that moment I was fully and totally sold in to Jesus. It doesn't matter what you think you're capable of. It only matters what Jesus does through you. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, he came to earth dressed in our flesh. He lived a perfect life. He had the same hurts and pains that you and I have. If he stubbed his toe on something, you know what? It hurt. If he skinned his knee as a boy, it hurt. As he grew up, all of the same hurts and pains that you and I have, Jesus experienced. In fact, we're told in Scripture that we have a high priest who knows every pain and hurt that we go through. While I was in Afghanistan, again, this was about three weeks after the little girls, we had, uh, I'm sorry, the the boy and the two girls, and by the way, just as an aside, the two girls, complete recovery. The little boy, the uh, leg is gone. Uh, he will make a complete recovery as much as is possible living in uh, Afghanistan without access to the medical care that we have here that we often take for granted. Uh, he will grow up and lead as normal of a life as possible. But he'll only do so because the United States military was there to pick this little child up and patch him, patch him back up and send him on his way. That's a pretty cool thing. So, I'm going to stand here. That day, about three weeks later, a 12-year-old girl and her brother were out, same area, same general area um, that the other children had been. They were out just doing life, doing their normal stuff. The 12-year-old girl, her 15-year-old brother, the 12-year-old girl stepped on an IED. S-A, improvised explosive device. She stepped on that IED, and everything from her, from her, I'll stand right here, hopefully I can see this, from right here down was gone, except one bone. There was one bone left there that went down to where her ankle should be, her ankle and her foot were completely gone. And out of that one spot where, where it stopped right here, blood continuously poured she had a tourniquet on her right leg where the IED had destroyed most of her right leg as well, but her left leg was, for all intents and purposes, gone. She came in uh, to the to the roll two facility. When she came in, they immediately went to work on trying to stop the bleeding because you remember that's what a roll two is for. Stop the bleeding and get her to a point where they can put her on a helicopter and send her to a little place called Bagram where they would be able to repair her leg. And by that I mean repair the stump. When she came in, screaming, as any of us would be, I stood there with her. They told me her 15-year-old brother was there. I walked around the corner to see her 15-year-old brother. Now, you understand Afghanistan is a country about 99.9% Muslim. There is one, and I'm not exaggerating here, there's one Jewish guy living in Afghanistan. As far as I know, there are no thriving Christian populations in Afghanistan. It is a Muslim country. So I went in to the, uh, to the next room, and I began to speak to this, little, to this 15-year-old boy who's dressed head to toe uh, in uh, camouflage. It looks like he's about to go deer hunting. And he's terrified. But he's terrified because standing in front of him is a soldier, every time we had Afghans that would come into our Roll 2 facility we would have to bring our soldiers down, and they would be dressed in their full battle armor uh, with their weapons and everything fully loaded because the reality is we don't know when somebody will attack, so we have to be ready at all times. You can extrapolate from there. Everybody good? So this 15-year-old boy is standing there, standing next to him as one of our soldiers uh, with his helmet and everything uh, and his weapon, and right in front of the 15-year-old boy is an interpreter who is helping him to communicate with the... the, uh, They're called guardian angels. That's the guy with his weapon and everything. Or to communicate with the chaplain when the chaplain comes in. So I went in to see this 15-year-old boy. And I began to speak to him. And I was trying to understand what he needed. And it was about 10 minutes after 4. Here's my Matt Brady. It was about 10 minutes after 4. Every day, five times a day, across loudspeakers all over Afghanistan, they begin to call people to pray. Matt Brady would love this because the, uh, the mullahs there, the imams, they preach five times a day over those loudspeakers. I mean, you get preached five times a day. That's a good thing. So I went in. I'm talking to this little boy. Prayer time for Muslims had just been announced. Now, y'all, if I were in any situation similar, and my sister, my wife, my friend, my child, anybody that I know had been hurt in the way that that little girl had been hurt, what is the first thing you would want to do? Say again? Pray. That's the first thing I would want to do. Because frankly, y'all, I wouldn't know what else to do. All I know to do is take it to God. Scripture tells us, cast your care on him, for he cares for you. So I went to see this little 15-year-old boy. I said, would you like to pray? We would find a place for him to go pray. It was part of my job, I want you to understand, not endorsing his faith, but in the same way that Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve, my job was to make sure he had access somewhere to pray. So he said, no, I don't want to pray. And then he said something. He was speaking through the interpreter, so I didn't understand what he had said. He said, no, I don't want to pray. I said, okay. So I asked the interpreter again. Ask him if he wants to pray. I'm not sure that it was clear. Ask him if he wants to pray. And this 15-year-old boy sitting in his chair, he began to do like this. And then he looked up and he said something to the interpreter. And the interpreter said to me, The most profound words I think I have ever heard in my life. He can't pray because of the blood. His pants were covered with his sister's blood. He can't pray because of the blood. In order for him to go seek peace, to go seek comfort, to go seek help, to go seek anything from his God. He has to go clean up. Y'all, what a beautiful thing. We can go to Jesus and because of his blood, we can go to him anytime we want to. We can cry out to him. We can pour ourselves out to him. We can say, Father, I hurt and I'm only here because your son died for me. Lord, please pour your peace into me. They know nothing of that and hear me you can seek Jesus you can seek God you can seek peace and mercy and healing and restoration you can seek salvation because of the blood That is a beautiful thing that Jesus has done for us. And all he demands is that we go all in for him. Not as a condition to save us, but because he has saved us. We go all in for him. What a great opportunity he's given us. Who are you serving? Choose you this day. You may not have tomorrow. may not have tonight. Choose you this day who you will serve. Will you serve the gods of this world? Will you serve the gods of sex and money and greed and self? Will you serve the gods of politics and anything else? Or will you give yourself completely to Jesus Christ, the only one who has ever given himself completely for you? The gospel The good news is that you get to choose Jesus. You get to choose God. He has made a way for you. But here's the thing. You have to choose. You have to choose. You need to choose today. Today. Who will you serve? When will you serve? Where will you serve? Who will you give yourself to entirely? I told you there was a great little place called Bagram. Bagram is a gigantic Air Force base. It sits down kind of in the middle of a a bunch of mountains in the middle of a valley. So all the way around, if you stand in the middle of Bagram and you kind of do like this, all you see are mountains in any direction. Beautiful mountains, gorgeous mountains. The Taliban, they like to walk up in those mountains on the other side from Bagram because they're smart. They crawl up in the mountains and they aim rockets down at Bagram. They pull the trigger of the rocket and then they go home they oftentimes hit the base. Usually what happens is that sometime during the night, most often at night, usually it seems like between 10 and 1:32 o'clock in the morning, you will hear something come over the loudspeaker that sounds a little something like this. Ma 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 incoming, incoming, incoming. Pretty innocuous sounding. I heard it a lot. But you know what? Never saw any rockets hit. I heard something one time a long way away. I never saw any rockets hit. There's nothing to worry about. In fact, the Taliban are so bad they can't hit anything. Why do they even waste their money walking up into the mountains and their time and their effort to shoot a rocket down into base where they never hit anything? And y'all, I believe that until June 23rd. Laying in my bed on part of Bagram Air Force Base, had my, uh, had my phone here hanging up on a piece of string above me while I was laying in bed so that I could watch a TV show. It was about 1.40 in the morning. That alarm goes off. Incoming, incoming, incoming. And I had the thought. As soon as I heard the first, I thought, man, they waste a lot of time and money. They don't ever hit anything. I don't know if I finished that thought. But I know that at some point before incoming, 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 the wall about eight feet above and to the left of me exploded. They hit something. Thankfully, the rocket did not explode. It passed straight through the building, destroyed all the lights in the building, uh, and humorously, it went out the other side, about this far, centered right above the exit sign. (laughs) Here's where I'm going with that. I heard the alarm many, many, many times. I knew what to do when the alarm went off. I knew what I should do. I knew that something bad could happen. I knew that it was real because it was never preceded with, this is a drill. So when that alarm would go off, I knew unequivocally what to do. I have this morning, and your pastor has many times, shared with you the gospel of a God who sent his son to die on a cross of Calvary so that you might receive Jesus Christ as your Savior by repenting, placing your faith and your trust in him, and receiving eternal life. And in the process of telling you this, oftentimes what you hear from me or from others is that there will come a day where you will die. There will come a day where you cannot choose Jesus anymore. That day will come. Do not be like me laying in that bed and say, It'll never happen. The pastor, the chaplain, the whoever, he was speaking about the gospel again today. It's never going to happen because one day, one day, Jesus will return. And when it happens, it's too late for you to go, what am I supposed to do now? I need to go get right with God. It's too late. Today, Joshua says, choose you this day who you will serve. Don't choose tomorrow, next week, next month. Choose today. Jesus Christ has shed his blood. He has poured it on the ground of Calvary so that you might give yourself completely to God and receive eternal life and never worry about the alarms of hell. You never need worry about it because he has promised when you do this, you are in his hand and he is in the father's hand and you are secure for eternity what I'm going to ask you to do is I would like everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. There's a lot of heavy stuff in this. When we talk about Afghanistan and we talk about war zones and we talk about uh, people getting shot and people getting killed, there's a lot of heavy stuff there. I had never seen dead bodies except for funeral homes or hospitals until I showed up in Afghanistan, and it didn't take long for that to happen. All of you today have an opportunity to give your life completely, wholly, unquestionably to the Lamb of God, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the one who has given himself for you. You have that opportunity to repent of your sins, to place your faith and your trust wholly and solely in his work on the cross of Calvary. My statement to you again today is choose you this day who you will serve. You're not in Afghanistan But it doesn't mean that your life doesn't end today. It doesn't mean that something might not happen where something could call you out of this world. It broke my heart just a week and a half ago to read of Ben, something we never know when our last day will be. Choose you this day who you will serve. And if you choose to serve the gods of this world or you choose to serve the gods of of another faith or another cult, then choose that. But this day you are called to give yourself wholly, unequivocally, unconditionally to Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the only path to the Father. As we pray, I encourage you, I invite you, choose this day, who you will serve, and then go all in and stop playing with it. Give everything you have to him. Almighty God and Father, Lord, as we have gathered together this morning to hear the admonition to choose today who it is that we will serve, Lord, I give myself completely to you, Lord. I give everything I have to you. I go all in for Jesus. And Lord, I pray that at this moment, your spirit would be touching hearts and lives in this room, Lord, that today you would be bringing people to that point of today I repent and give myself completely and wholly to Jesus. Lord, those this morning that have come to faith in Christ, but have been living half in half out, Lord, I pray that this would be the day that they would choose to give themselves wholly to Jesus, that today we would choose to follow the Lamb of God. Bless this time of invitation, Lord, and move in a mighty way in Jesus' name. Amen. I would invite you to stand up. If the Lord is speaking to your heart today, please come down. Today is the day to choose. Today is the day to give yourself wholly and unquestionably to Jesus Christ.